0: In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. I grew up on the idea that God kept track of our sins. The idea that there was a list somewhere where God wrote down everything bad that we ever did. Sort of like Santa's naughty and nice list. Somewhere, God was counting up our sins on one side, and then counting up the good things we did on the other side, and holding on to a record of both of them. And truthfully, I can't tell you where this came from exactly, but it is a really vivid memory in my mind. It could have come from the Evangelical Conservative Episcopal Church we went to for a part of my childhood, or maybe it came from my Methodist grandmother. But somewhere in there, my takeaway as a very literal child was that if I did something wrong, it was written down. Which meant that there was a list somewhere of every bad thing I had ever done. And of course, that was true for everyone else too. It wasn't just me. And someday when you died, you would be confronted with both of those lists. You'd have to explain an answer for them. And we certainly have Christian siblings who believe that God and sin works this way. And the scary part about that is that if that list existed for any of us, it would just grow and grow as we made our way through life. The sins would literally pile up The scroll would get longer and longer and longer every time we did anything that hurt someone else, every time we lost our temper in traffic, every time you did something that pulled you away from God. And so imagine for a list, for a moment, that God kept a list like that, a list for each one of us, for our whole lives. There would be scores and scores of sins, big and small, piling up. Now, the very good news, and it is very good news, is that God doesn't keep that list. As Episcopalians, we confess every week together as part of the service, whether that's morning prayer or the Eucharist. In fact, that's how our worship started this morning. And after the confession comes the absolution, which literally wipes the slate clean. No more list, no more tallies, just a new start. It doesn't solve for everything because when we say the words of the confession, we need to mean them. We need to want forgiveness and we need to want to change our behavior so that we just don't keep making the same mistakes and living out the same patterns over and over again. But God's grace does wipe the slate clean. So we don't have to carry all of that around with us so that we don't have to worry that it's lingering out there following us around. And the idea is that if God forgives us, then even sometimes when there's something that clings to us, something that we struggle with, eventually we can learn to forgive ourselves. And of course, we're supposed to learn how to forgive each other generously. In the gospel this morning, I think Peter thinks he's being clever. I think he thinks he's being generous. Jesus has just talked about forgiveness in the passage that we heard last week, and these two passages really go together, thinking about conflict and forgiveness and the bonds of community. Last week, if you remember, Jesus emphasizes that even in conflict, we're meant to give each other second, third chances, to forgive over and over again, and to understand that we will need to be forgiven over and over again for the sake of the community to be whole. So then Peter continues this conversation in the passage we have this morning, and in his infinite wisdom, he says, okay, Jesus, so how many times? Up to seven times? And he thinks he's being generous. He thinks he's outdoing himself, because in Jewish law, the practice was to forgive three times, and then there was a punishment after that. So seven, in comparison to three, would seem really generous, right? But not to Jesus. This is not a place where Jesus is being literal and telling us to tally up 77 times and then on the 78th to say, no, 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 we're all done, no more forgiveness for you. In fact, in the Greek, it's actually very hard to know what number exactly Jesus means. It's been translated many different ways because the words in Greek are ambiguous. It could be 77 times, or it could be 7 times 77, which is 490, by the way, 490 times. So Jesus is using these big numbers to make a point. And he highlights this point in the parable that comes next about a slave who owns, who owes a king an astronomical amount of money. One talent was equivalent to 15 years of work. So if he owed the king 10,000 talents, he owed 150,000 years of labor. Take that in for a minute. No one could ever pay off a debt like that. No one could ever even begin to make a dent in a debt like that. It would have hung around his neck all his life. And he pleads with the king, and the king forgives him, forgives the debt generously, seemingly without a good reason. He just forgives it because the slave asks, because the slave pleads with him. But then just a few minutes later, the slave comes across another slave who owes him 100 denarii. And I think we expect that number to be super small in the context of the parable, but it actually isn't. That would be equivalent to about three months' worth of labor. So it's not an insignificant amount of money, but it certainly pales in comparison to 150,000 years of labor. There's not a huge comparison there. And the slave who has been shown this tremendous overwhelming amount of mercy for really no good reason, shows no mercy to his brother, to his neighbor, no mercy at all. And the ending for him, if you look at the end of the parable is not good. So the purpose of the parable is pretty clear. God forgives us the way the king forgives the slave, generously and seemingly without reason. We could be the ones with debts so big and so tall we could never come close to covering them. We could be the ones lugging around lists of sins that count against us and keep us from freedom and keep us from eternal life. But we have a broadly overwhelmingly kind God who graciously forgives us over and over again because God loves us. And we're forgiven, honestly, simply because we ask, because we confess, because we want to be forgiven, because of what Jesus has done, and because we ask. That's it. We don't do anything to deserve that forgiveness. We haven't earned it. And all we have to do is ask. And God wipes the slate clean, wipes all of it away. And yet, we struggle to forgive each other for big things and small things. We carry those things with us. We hold grudges. We tally up and keep track of what we're owed, of who hurt us, of what we don't want to forgive. And what Jesus is trying to do in the parable is sort of right-size us and our relationships, to call our attention to that, so that when we see the sins of (laughs) others— We aren't tempted to judge or to count those sins or to hold those grudges because we remember that we are in no position to do that because we are also sinners who have been freely forgiven. And that means we have to look honestly at ourselves. And like last week, we have to see in the mirror creatures who have been and who need again to be forgiven. We are intended to try to forgive and to want to forgive the way that God forgives us, which means we have to learn to forgive almost as often as we breathe, as if it's second nature, a common thing to just sort of graciously offer someone forgiveness and mercy, to let them off the hook, even when that grace isn't returned. Now, having said all that, when we talk about forgiveness, we can't ever really do that without acknowledging the fact that there are real big wounds that we inflict on each other. And Jesus is not inviting us in this passage to put ourselves in danger, to pretend that all is well when someone has really hurt us, to stay in abusive relationships, or to dismiss the really grievous sins that human beings sometimes commit. So we have to keep in mind that forgiveness and reconciliation are two very different things. When we forgive, Especially the things that are in our power to forgive, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is right again, or that we'll be best friends with the person who hurt us, or even that relationships can be restored fully. Sometimes when something is broken, it's really broken. And healing and reconciliation are related to forgiveness, but they aren't the same thing. Healing and reconciliation come at a cost, they require both people to work on the relationship. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is one-sided. It is entirely dependent on us. It happens within us, and we can forgive ultimately without an apology, without someone admitting wrongdoing, without the participation of the other person at all. And it doesn't mean that all will be well again. Sometimes the wound is truly too big for that. But what Jesus is really after here is for us to be so stunned by the generosity of a God who forgives debt like that, That we realize how generous we ought to be so that we can be free of the scores of sins that we've committed and free also of tallying up the scores of sins that we think other people have committed against us free from counting and listing and tallying up what someone owes free from this sort of miserly approach to grace doling it out a little bit here and there like there isn't enough to go around so this morning rather than being like Peter, who thinks he's generous with his seven-option forgiveness plan. Look for the places in your life where you are still holding a grudge and keeping a tally or a list or even a tiny little mental note tucked in the back of your head. Remember that you have already been forgiven and given grace that you did not earn, and yet it's freely given because of what Jesus does for us on the cross. So take that grace that's been given to you to those corners of your heart where you are keeping score, and let those grievances go. Then return to a place of gratitude, knowing that you have just made the opposite choice of the slave in this parable. Be overwhelmingly grateful that there is no list, that God has forgiven you over and over again and will continue to do that for the rest of your life for truly seemingly no good reason other than love. And know that that love then bids that you do the same for your neighbor. Amen.